Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Carbonite. Carbonite Online Backup is automatic and unlimited backup for your computer files with anytime, anywhere access. Try it today at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP to get two bonus months with purchase. That's Carbonite.com with the offer code T-W-I-P. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP9. This week on TWIP, new software from Adobe, a new chapter in the Final Cut saga, and a discussion on retro-looking cameras. It's Saturday, September 10th, 2011, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Jeffrey Totaro and Doug K. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, Frederick. All right. First off, Jeffrey, what have, you been, what have you been up to? Architectural photographer, of course. You've been out taking pictures of buildings with gigantic 8x10 swing tilt cameras and all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, as you, uh, at least the, the modern equivalent of that, at least uh, working with the medium format system. Yep. Um, I think last time I was on was right before uh, we did a workshop in Chicago with Phase 1, mm. which is the, their POTUS workshop, which is an acronym for Phase 1 Digital Artist Series. Oh, nice. And uh, myself and another photographer, Christopher Barrett, um, were co co-photographer um, uh, teachers of, of sorts. And then phase one supports it with, I think they had five or six people there plus 14 participants. So it's a, it's really first class operation they put together. It was really a lot of fun, three days. Uh, and all the participants get to work with the new phase one IQ backs, which are pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was a lot of fun. And um, what do those backs uh, run by the way? Uh, they, <clears throat> I don't know exactly. I know that they're the back itself. If, like that's how I would buy it because I mostly use it just on the tech camera mm-hmm. versus um, versus their DF platform. Yeah, uh, it's going to be like the one hundred and sixty, which is the full frame six hundred and forty five size. I'm guessing is like through thirty thousand plus. Uh, it's going to be about thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight <laughs> more. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, you can pick yourself up off the ground. <laughs> So basically, you're saying this workshop would be their, their most people's only chance to get their hands on them, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so what else did you teach in the workshop? Was it was it uh, just sort of hands on with medium format photography, or did you get more specific? Yeah, well, it was definitely uh, geared around architectural photography. So uh, Chris and myself, we did um, a variety of you know shooting outside in the city around chicago which was really beautiful so we'd split up into groups and go shoot um some different buildings with participants sort of switching back and forth between me and chris and then uh chris arranged for one of his clients um to get us into an office space on the saturday that we were there so we did some interior shooting too and demonstrated some lighting techniques and how we arrive at compositions and how how the whole thing works and how you know dialogue we sort of did some pretend dialogue with like um you know how how you might have the uh, the talk with a client about why or where you are and, and setting up your photograph and then various lighting techniques. It's also fun for me to see another photographer working, and because uh, we also operate you know, in a bubble more or less, 
Yeah. And uh, so it was fun to see uh, see some of Chris's techniques. I learned a few things. Did you get? Uh, did you guys, when you were doing the interior photography, did you get into the the post production side of it, like exposing for, you know, the exterior lights and then compositing that? Yeah, we did. Um, we did. Uh, each of us sort of set up one shot, and then we did the, the following day. We did a little bit of post production, and so I um, often in, in my work, I'm you know maybe putting a light right in the shot and then we mask it out later just with um typical layer masking techniques since the camera's on a tripod so you were cheating you're saying you were cheating yeah, more like <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, what's nice about that technique in general compositing and just piecing things together is that you can put that light right where you want it yeah versus um the days of, of film shooting four by five film where we had to light everything from the edges or hide lights behind furniture or walls that were in the shot and oh, that's, that's where the real time consuming part came in and shooting film yeah. So we're able to eliminate that that part of it, and also end up with what I think is a much better result because you can really light things right right where you want to light them from. Yeah, yeah, and then just, just basically you're making your own clip art, right? You can just move it wherever you want to put it. Yeah, yeah, and you just you know, a lot of time in post production, you know, cutting paths and yeah. layering things together, and so so we did some of that. Also, Jeff Shiwi uh, was there at the workshop, and he oh demonstrated- yeah, I just traded emails with Jeff. Yeah, oh yeah, he's great. He was really a lot of fun. Is he, so, is, he, is he still the uh, the bearded bearded Santa Claus looking guy yeah. that he was before? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he he uh, gave people some nice techniques uh, that would relate to post production for architectural work. So yeah, yeah, he's the master. Cool. He's the master. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Cool. And also on the show, we've got Mr. Doug K, who's coughing in the background at that thirty k price tag <laughs> for the for the phase one back. Hey, Doug, what's uh, what's been going on in your world? Well, I've, um, yeah, I've, uh, I think I've spent the last two months doing nothing but Google Plus. Oh, you're <laughs> a is, Google Plus it, fan. It, yeah. is, it has absorbed me so entirely. I mean, I get out to shoot and I do some post production, but I'm glued to Google Plus. It's been crazy. Wait, so right. you, so you're cheating on Facebook and Twitter? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I only dabble <laughs> there. <laughs> I actually, I put up, I put up one of those icons on Facebook that says, "I'm not here. I'm on Google Plus." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I want to hear about that because I know you put that in there as your pick. So I want to I want to hear about why you like Google Plus so much. I've heard from Trey Radcliffe that he's sort of planted his flag in Google Plus as well. I want to find out what what's the magic that's drawing so many photographers into that that service. It didn't seem like Facebook did it for photographers. Maybe uh, Google Plus has that glue. Yeah, I think uh, Thomas Hawk and and Trey have both written a lot about this. Uh, Scoble has as well, and I think. It's a couple of things. One, it's right away that they've got large thumbnails. In fact, you wouldn't even call them thumbnails. Your images show up quite large there. Uh, the other is this idea of circles where you can control who you're following and who's following you and so forth. And the fact that you can, uh, you can tune it to the point that you can get a stream, which is nothing but awesome images. Mm. And, uh, and then the other is that there's tremendous interaction. You know, it started with video chats, 10 person hangouts, as they call them. And, um, there's just been a phenomenal level of interaction among photographers, um, and, uh, high level criticism, everything. It's been marvelous. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, are you in, mm-hmm. are you in the Google Plus world? No, I've just been, uh, listening, uh, to guys like Doug talk about this. Sound kind of intriguing. Um, I was actually in Google's building in New York City yesterday. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> kind of interesting. I wasn't really with them. I was looking at another space in there. But uh, yeah, it's the social media stuff is very interesting to me. I'm, I'm active on Twitter, uh, but I do like the idea that this is much more uh, photo based. And uh, but I'm always a little concerned about 
you know, when you post images to some of these sites, you know, what are the, the, the terms of use that you're getting involved mm-hmm. in? And I'm, I can't speak to Google Plus at all. I haven't really read their terms so can at all. You, but can you speak to that? What, if, if I upload some images to Google Plus, does Google own them and they, they can put them in their, uh, their stock photo library? Well, you know, that's, that's the ongoing argument with all of these services. The terms of use always say that the service can do anything they want with your images. Uh, in reality, they need that privilege in order to put them into the system. Um, They don't, you know, Google's not the problem. I don't worry about Google. I worry about somebody else. In fact, uh, I've already had people tell me that some of my images posted to Google Plus have appeared other places, and I've found them, and I'm working on sending them DMCA notices, things like that. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's not Google per se that's the problem. It's the individuals who come in and abuse the service. Right, right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's a it's a different world, that's for sure. Yeah. I Jeffrey, I remember when you came on the first time you hadn't you were I think you were just starting your Twitter account and now right. you're you're you've got what, nine million followers or something? Oh like no, that? not barely that at all. <laughs> um but I, I really do enjoy Twitter. it's a lot of fun. Uh just to you know, use it like most people use it, but it's it's fun to see how things um things catch on here and there. I posted one picture before Hurricane Irene came in of my local Apple store because they had boarded up the whole front of it uh with plywood. And it was, the, I guess, the day or two after Steve Jobs had uh, made his announcement of his uh, resignation and retirement. Yeah. And, um, you know, that one caught a little bit of fire, you know, through Camera Plus. You know, for me, it got, you know, I think a couple hundred views, maybe, or 190 views or something. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, that one happened to get passed around. So it's fun to see the power of social media. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, we, we, especially when you rewind back to, I don't know, say 15 years ago when – when you know a, a tree or an image would make a sound in the forest and no one would hear it, <laughs> you know, it right. could be the most beautiful tree in the world. But if no one sees it, then you know it doesn't really exist. And now you can uh, you can take a picture of that Apple Store and share it with the world, and they can comment and see it and enjoy it, and you know get use out of it right when you're still standing in front of the store. So it's yeah, amazing. that's that's what's amazing about it. And some of these other like um, uh, Instagram, uh, I just dabbled in a little bit, but I know. One of the assistants that works with me, he uh, he gets all kinds of crazy, you know, international comments on the pictures he puts up on there. So it's it's fun to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into story number one. This is interesting. Adobe announced at Photoshop World this past week um, a new photo viewing and storage application called Carousel. And it's available. This was interesting. So it's available first available for for Mac. Macintosh and iOS users, so the the desktop computers or laptops, your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod Touch, and all that stuff, with Windows support coming next year. But um, I wanted to throw this out there because, first of all, both of you guys, have you had a chance to look at it and get a get a feel for what Adobe's trying to do here? Yep. yep. Yeah. Good. So, so first question: Apple is coming out with iCloud. You know, this this integrated service into the the Macintosh operating system. Um, presumably any day now, it's supposed to be re- announced with hooks in it for third-party developers to tap into iCloud to do this sort of automatic, no-effort syncing, which is kind of what Carousel is claiming to do with photos. So basically you take a photo or upload a photo or edit a photo on your Mac, and it appears all the edits that you make appear on all your other devices without any effort, without any, okay, I need to sync and all that stuff. So it kind of sounds like what Apple decided they were going to do with iCloud, but it's free, and Adobe's charging 60 bucks a year for this service. Jeffrey, what, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? Is this, is, this, is this Adobe saying, okay, Apple's coming out with iCloud, we need to steal some of their thunder, or is there merit in here? 
Yeah, I think I think Apple should be, you know, maybe not concerned might not be the right word, but at least very aware of what's going on. Uh, you know, Adobe is a it's not some startup company. It's a it's a company that a lot of people trust and mm-hmm. a lot of photographers already have heavily involved in their workflow to begin with. Yeah. So but so is Apple. You know, a lot of a lot of photographers work through Apple. So we will uh, the details of iCloud remain to be seen exactly. Yeah. But um, what what I think is appealing about this service, and I've I've always said this since digital photography became, um, you know, something that's here to stay, is I, I see, you know, parents taking pictures of their kids, doing all kinds of fun stuff, but they're taking their pictures like with their cell phones, and I always always sort of worry about, you know, because people don't, your average consumer doesn't really have the means or or um, anything in place to back up and store their photos and organize them so well, so. I think that uh, this service would be great for for that kind of thing for your average person, the consumer, likes, right? Yeah, average consumer likes to take a lot of pictures of their kids or vacations or whatever, but they end up using the um, a lot of times using their their cell phone and maybe maybe they sync it uh, through using an iPhone to iTunes and they back up their pictures. But this um, and from what I was reading, it sounds like it works directly, like you can shoot right into Carousel. Yeah, that's what it. Did I read that's, that right. Yeah, it's not available yet. They've got to you know join join the list to find out or to be notified. But yeah, it looks mm-hmm. like from these apps, you can like take your iPhone, take a picture, and boom, it's now available on on all your other devices, which is right. Very which similar, I, right? Yeah, which I think it's sort of like to me it was like sort of like Camera Plus on steroids because mm-hmm. you can also edit your pictures and then they're immediately uploaded to to your your mini cloud of all your pictures and and you're able to share them. Uh, you know, one thing that made me nervous but doesn't really apply so much to the consumer world is they said um, you can I have a quote here and you can easily grab and flag favorite favorite photos. I was like, mm-hmm. so okay, <laughs> so careful professionals of what you put up there. Yeah, because uh, I guess the, I guess would- there's some sort of network. Yeah, it's got to be. It's definitely tied in. Doug, what, what do you think about this? So it's a, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at it, and my first blush. I was looking at the little video that they had on the site. And my my first reaction was, this should be part of Lightroom or Elements, you know, or even Photoshop. You know, it shouldn't be a standalone app. This should, the the carousel functionality should be another folder within Lightroom. Is that am I missing something, or do I want another application on my desktop to manage my app or manage my photos? Well, I, I think you're right. I think the the key is something you said early on. For, first of all, you were at Adobe. When's the last time you remember uh, a product coming out first for the Mac and later for Windows? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that that's happen. the other thing. That's a complete right. flip. And considering Adobe's alignment with Google on Android, you know, so it's yeah. So this is this is clearly <laughs> clearly like you said. This is going after iCloud, yeah. and the timing, the aggressiveness of it confirms that. Secondly, it's clearly a, uh, a a cell phone consumer point and shoot product because, for example, it's JPEG only. So anybody who shoots RAW is not going to be able to use this. Yeah, thing. yeah. Nor, nor would you want to wait around to upload the RAW files anyway. Yeah. But it is. Um, I I think it's a. I think it's a little desperate. I don't think it's a great fit because. I don't think that Adobe is particularly strong in that point and shoot only or you know family photo market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know on. On the uh, on the Apple platforms, Apple is so dominant um, with iPhoto, with eliminating the cost for you know whatever it was called at me or whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. and and now making you know iCloud part of that. So it's tough because I mean, how many point and shoot people out there? And I mean, really, really, you know, family photo point and shoot people use even Photoshop Elements. Yeah. What, what's your mm-hmm. sense of that? I don't know. I mean. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I talk I talk a lot about elements as being the the sort of hidden secret for photographers wanting the power of Photoshop and not the price because it's you know it's it's really strong in terms of what you can do with it and the one two punch of Lightroom and and elements is pretty much what all most photographers you know generally speaking need. So you know my my sense of the the like say the TWIP audience that's using elements i'd say i don't know i mean this unscientific you know might be like what five percent ten percent and I, I mean i i do think that the you know the family snapshot mode is you know you know what a very small percentage of these things even get exposure correction more likely they'll get some effect thrown on on them um in an in an iphone and they want to be shared that's it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so uh, i don't know i I'm always wrong, but I, I'm a little skeptical about <laughs> You say this. you're always but wrong? <laughs> I'm, I'm always wrong, yeah. I'm, I'm never right about predicting these things. It just seems it seems like it's not a good fit for the Adobe customer base. Yeah. So it's a, it's a new thing for them. Jeffrey, what do you, what do you yep. think about the, the pricing of this? It looks like $60 a year, it looks like, or 6 bucks a month. And then for the introductory offer, then it's going to go up to $100 a year or $10 a month. So, you know, first question is, is this worth $100 a year with all these other apps that are swirling around that are doing all this crazy stuff with iCloud up there? Would you pay yeah, that? I think I think yeah, we'll see what uh, – and that was uh, my recollection. Is iCloud actually free or is it just now part of a cheaper mobile me sort of a thing? Uh, you know, I think – that's a good question. I know I know it, part of it's free, but I think it's a it's free for, for most use. And like I know a freemium kind of thing? It's the something? freemium thing, yeah. And then you hit yeah. a level and you can say, okay, well, I want my entire iTunes library backed up. And you can pay and yeah. you know have it pushed up there. But I think for the most part it is free. Yeah, because I, I think it's pretty steep pricing, even at $60 a year. I'm not sure a lot of consumers would be interested in, in paying that. Uh, I know I'm not. I mean, honestly, just, yeah. just frankly speaking, I'm looking at it, and I, I played that video a couple times. I read through the site, and, you know, it's like it's it, it looks interesting, but it looks like it should be part of something else that I'm already paying for uh, or, yeah. you know, like some other software that I'm already paying for. And it looks like the thing that I hit that hit me when I got down to pricing was – this is Adobe moving into subscription models, you know, like mm-hmm. they did with Photoshop. Now they're trying to, okay, everything we, every software we do needs to have a subscription component to it. So let's tack one onto this new thing. Right. I mean, maybe if, if you have a license for any of the Adobe other products, any product they make, maybe this should be free. Yeah. And maybe that would sort of entice people to buy, you know, elements or something. Maybe they should look at it in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, one, or freemium, right? Just make it completely yeah. free. And then, okay, if you're a pro and you want to do all this magic stuff, then you you can ante up 60 bu- six bucks a month, you know? Right. And that would make sense. And, or if a certain amount of storage or, or however you want to look at it. But, yeah, some, some free to a certain point model i think makes a lot of sense yeah so it seems um, like a mismatch of audience right because like like doug was saying it's like it's squarely aimed at the consumer um but then you're asking them to pay a hundred dollars a year <laughs> you know? uh-huh. it's like, yeah. yeah it's gonna uh, it's gonna come down really to how well is integrated with devices if um you know what jeffrey says if it's part of the capture application and the capture application is a good one so you know you take your picture you apply your effect you're done you don't even think about the syncing then that has a chance but you know uh, Apple's going to do that themselves. The question is, what happens on the Android devices? Do they have as integration as good there or not? It's hard mm-hmm. to tell. We don't mm-hmm. know. Yet. That's a good point. Yeah, because Android's so all over the map. What's e- easier for developers to work with Apple is that um, everything's pretty well known, 
in terms of functionality and how to make things work. Android's much more of a big, you know, black hole in terms of trying to make it work on various platforms and for various phones and and things like that. And we yeah. we also we also don't know what Apple's going to do in terms of what what they're going to permit. You know, they have a nasty habit of saying no to Adobe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Let's see what that does. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, for the, on the Flash side, though, right? I mean, they had a, Adobe and Apple had a you know a reasonably good co-opetition sort of relationship up until Flash, yeah, and that's in, where they sort of put it at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, they still you know, they need each other. You know, they're like in a in a bad marriage because <laughs> they Flash, need each other. Flash will never be on an iPhone or an iPad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. Hey, they got a new CEO over there. Maybe uh, maybe he'll think differently about that. I, I think I think he had to sign into his contract that he <laughs> no would flash. never allow Flash. Steve yeah. Jobs will, will come in uh, at any mention of that and say, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, Steve will come into the board meeting. You do realize I still run this place, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make, make that clear. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Um, one, one thing I wanted to bring up to see what you guys think, too, is, um, and it was mentioned in the notes here, you know, what are the downsides of this? I'm, I'm wondering if, is this a service where Adobe sees some, some way to mine people's data and find some way to sell information about their users, uh, like sort of in a Facebook kind of way, like you're keeping track of GPS information and mm. your travel patterns and uh, where you go on vacation and, and all of that sort of thing, uh, where your kid goes to school, even all kinds of like weird stuff because you have all these uh, phones and things that, that upload the GPS tags too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, right. cert- they certainly could, but there's nothing in the Adobe product line or culture that says that they've got any expertise in that area. Right. I mean, not that it's not. If that's, that, if that's like what the business model is in their sense, that they'll have, yeah. they get a lot of users and then that has some power, just like any other social network. Well, then they'd make it free, wouldn't they? You would think so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they, they, they own Omniture, right? Which is, which is, the, you know, the, the online, what do they call it? I'm looking at the site right now. Um, social analytics <laughs> you know right. it's mm. a site that that measures all that kind of stuff and and oh, helps yeah. advertisers deliver targeted advertisements to wherever right i mean you know we're reaching but hey you know gps data could be incorporated into the omniture suite and adobe could presu- presumably use that data to target ads back into carousel saying oh hey this picture was taken near a starbucks hey by the way right <laughs> Would you like a like five dollars off your next uh, or you know a dollar off your next latte kind of thing? Or maybe that continues with the freemium thing where you pay more to not get uh, ads served. To not up be in your bugged. Account. Yeah, that's that's kind of like uh, what, what do they call it on on uh, on the Sopranos when you pay for protection? Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, hey, you you know you kick over, you pay the vig, and you you know you don't have to worry about these advertising showing up. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to, but it would be in your best interest if you pay. Um, if you pay this a little. You bit. look like a smart boy. <laughs> yeah, you look like a smart boy. All right. Next story up is from Pop Photo. Um, looks like Apple has. I don't know if if, I, if the word acquiesced is appropriate in this situation, but there was a lot of kerfluffle about Final Cut Pro 10 or X, depending on how you want to call it, when that came out. Um, how they took a radical departure away from the sort of nonlinear established or nonlinear video editing established MO, um, especially from the pros on the scene in Apple in, in Apple's fashion said, hey, we're going we're gonna to wipe the slate clean and reinvent this software into what we think a, a NLE or nonlinear editing piece of software should be. 
Um, and now it looks like they're bringing back Final Cut 7 or the, uh, the previous version to make them both available simultaneously. Now, is this, uh, Jeffrey, I want to throw it to you first. Is this, mm-hmm. is this Apple saying, okay, uncle, we get it. We hear you. You can have the other thing and this new thing or, or what, what am I, what are we looking at? Well, I, I really think that, uh, they have got to, to continue to, uh, support the professional market and, I think that maybe they had plans to release a, a Final Cut Pro 10 at some point, mm-hmm. but they can't really just have it out there and then take it away from people. I don't. I don't think that's a very good business move. And I was very surprised that they would even attempt to do something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not much of a, a video shooter, but I can definitely see how this how this affects people. And when you think about, even though Apple's trying more and more to just to be your average consumer electronics company in the sense that they're really just trying to pander to the masses mostly. Yeah. Uh, they really need to look at the pro side. And you look at the camera companies, you know, Nikon and Canon, they make, you know, dozens of point and shoots and consumer level cameras, but they also make some pretty awesome uh, pro gear too. Yeah. And I think that Apple should look at them and say, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we need to be, you know, cause they, um, they've, they've put these good products out there and then to take them away, you know, people will just, cause people I think buy into Apple as a whole, you know, they've got, they've got that, that halo effect. And if, if professionals start saying that, well, you know, I, I don't really use uh, Final Cut anymore. Maybe they start to migrate away altogether from Apple products. Who knows? I think they have to keep try and keep everybody in the same arena. Yeah, yeah. Doug, what, Doug, what about you? Is this? Um, I mean, what, first of all, what did you make of the the abrupt transition from the existing norms over to Final Cut Pro Ten, the new look and feel, the new metaphor? And uh, what do you think about this sort of this backsliding back into making the the previous application available? Well, continuing on the theme that I'm always wrong, uh, you know, my my read is something I think something that, that Alex said, which is I think they made a business decision to walk away from the professional product line. Yep. Uh, I don't see anything else in Apple's line that's aimed at pros in any market. Uh, on the know, audio side, they're still there with with Logic and all that, right? Well, no, 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 no. They uh, because their their audio product was uh, Soundtrack Pro, which was part of the Final Cut Pro, uh, Final Cut Pro Studio thing, and it's out of there. I don't think it's part of the package anymore. Right, that's correct. <laughs> so I think they're they're walking away from Pro Audio completely. Um, I think that their uh, you know audition is really the the, the product that's winning out there. Uh, so I I think that they made a business decision. My my gut feeling about this most recent announcement was that it reminded me of what HP did with with the touchpad. I think hmm. they said they said wow you know there are a few extra bucks to be made uh, by spinning off a small team keeping this thing alive, but it's not going to be part of the mainstream product line. Um, I was shocked when they did it in the first place. But I also think, and I believe it was Alex that said this on the show, that that um, it's a business decision. That's just not the market they want to be in. Yeah, yeah, Apple. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's no secret that they're positioning themselves to be a consumer-oriented company, or even more of a consumer-oriented company. Yeah, I don't know. Is <laughs> the the stock valuation or the company's valuation is basically pointing into the direction that yes, this is the right decision to make. So yeah, I mean, I don't think lose if they lost all of their final cut revenues, I don't think you'd see it as a blip on their bottom line. No, no, you see it as a blip online because of all the vocal professional video editors, you know, saying like we have heard with Final Cut Pro Ten, this small vocal community of of editors saying this sucks, you know, and then the silent consumers buying it. 
<laughs> I mean, they, they also had the problem. I mean, what the sweet, the last version sold for like $1,300 or something like that, yeah. right? And that's a very rarefied market. They can't keep that up. So they were, gonna, they were coming up against price erosion no matter what uh, and a small market. And it's just totally overwhelmed by their consumer market. Yeah. I think, it's, I, I think I, it's just too far off track. I just wonder, though, because to develop things like iMovie and now, now Final Cut 10, uh, they do still have to do a lot, of, a lot of research and development to make those products work well and to continue to add features. And it seems like if they do have a top-level professional product in video and in photography with Aperture and with um, some of the, the sound editing, that to me it makes sense that to have those pro-level apps and then trickle down the features and, and just water it down for the, for, for the stuff that comes included with the computers. Yeah, except for, that for I, I think... I think that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the uh, innovation was probably coming out of the consumer products and working in the other direction. Could be, yeah, uh, sure. and, um, uh, and I also think that, you know, development is just one part of the cost of a software product because you still have to market it and support it and everything else. And, um, you know, development is probably 10 or 20 percent of, of what goes into the total makeup of a software product. Yeah, it's an interesting shift, though. I mean, you know, back in the day when I was with Apple, part of the 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 driving force between iLife, which was in existence back then, was iLife is here specifically with no questions to help Apple sell more Macs. You know, we want to increase the value proposition of the Mac by creating this world-class software that ships installed on every Mac that you buy. Who can compete with that, right? Yeah. And now that the company is shifting its focus away from the Mac, you know, some would argue that, but it's still it's shifting its focus to the iOS devices and and the operating system and all that. How does that all work together now? You know, how do, does it does it make sense to keep investing in software that that makes people love Macs, or does it make sense to invest in your time and effort into creating a better iOS device and iOS operating system? I don't know, Jeffrey. What do you think? I mean, is it is it is is the, the, the are the days of creating software to get people to buy the iMac over? Uh, that's that's a good question. Yeah, so you're, you're suggesting that make it more hardware based as to why people would would get into your product versus software, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I still I, maybe maybe it's just because I, I do rely on some of the higher end Apple products to do my work, that, and those are hardware. Um, so so yeah, maybe the hardware is the driving force at this point. It's just to me, this, with all the things that Apple does and is capable of doing, um, even if if like uh, Doug was saying, it's a you know, business decision to not support these things. It just it just doesn't make a lot of sense. They can afford to support it from you know you know maybe they're selling it at a slight loss or something, but at least they're keeping keeping the, the, the pros buying the Mac Pros, because I think that's that's an important um, piece of their hardware line, at least at least for me. I hope those machines don't go away. Yeah. Uh, so, so it remains to be seen. They, they make some pretty obvious decisions, and they make some pretty surprising decisions, but they've always innovated one way or another. So even in their business model, maybe we're seeing some what people would call innovation. But so, Jeffrey, you're, you're, you're a Mac Pro user. That's what's on your desk right now? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like to have at least one of each of Apple, Apple products at any given time. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Mac Pro so, with a couple so you, of, uh, you pay in your Apple subscription <laughs> and you keep the hardware coming in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it keeps, it keeps coming in. Doug, um, what about you? Are you a Mac Pro or are you a, uh, an iMac user? Uh, early this year, I replaced my big honking Mac Pro that had, you know, four terabytes in the cabinet with uh, a high-end iMac, and I love it. And it's, it's well, the old one was, you know, three or four years old, so the iMac's obviously faster anyway. Yeah. But I've got a, an iMac with a solid-state drive and the maximum RAM, and it's a screamer. 
Yeah, that's the boat I'm in. I'm a, I'm a minimalist. I like less. Less is more for me. Yeah. I do like the IMAX. Go ahead, uh, go ahead Jeffrey. What were you going to say? I say I do like the uh, the I have the 27 inch iMac, which I think is a great machine too. That's where I run most of my sort of office tasks. Uh, you know, email and estimating, invoicing, the calendar runs off of that machine. And the other one, the Mac Pro is mostly just an imaging workstation, if you will. You need the horsepower um, and the heavy lifting, right? Yeah. Well, plus while the Mac Pro is doing something, if it's running a bunch of actions on some pictures, I can be working on the other computer, nice. um, and it just works well that way. I think. All right, guys, before we continue, um, this episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite. Basically, when you think about that document that you just worked on for hours or that photo that you just worked on for hours on your Mac Pro or your iMac, are they backed up? Or are, and where are they backed up? Are they stored off-site? Are they safe from a computer crash, somebody stealing your computer, some, some random virus in there eating everything up like Pac-Man? What's going on? They will be safe, however, if you're using Carbonite. Because with Carbonite, your files are automatically backed up whenever your computer is connected to the Internet. So their server sense that you're online and back up whatever changes that have occurred since it was offline. And if you have a computer disaster, it's easy to restore those files. So... And the cool thing you can the cool thing is you can access those files that you backed up from any computer securely and privately. So, you know, even with your smartphone, your iPad or whatever, if you're traveling and you need to access a particular file, you can access them because they're in that cloud. You get unlimited backup with any time anywhere access and it's just 60 bucks a year, is that magic number? You can start your free trial today at Carbonite.com and just use the offer code TWIP and you'll get two bonus months if you decide to buy it. That's Carbonite.com with the offer code TWIP. Give them a try. They're free. You know, get the free trial and try them out. See if you like them. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. The next story that I want to talk about is from Petapixel. Um, and it's about these retro cameras. So Samsung introduced a competitor to Fuji's X100 um, that looks pretty much the same. You know, I mean, these these cameras are are interesting. You know, these new bodies that come out and all this. But basically, what I wanted to talk about is the look of these things. So we're seeing, you know, these the the Leica, the you know, this X100, the Samsung, all these different cameras are coming out, and they're going retro on us. They're going back to the, the old days of the viewfinder, but packed full of amazing supercomputer technology. Is this, is this the, the, the way of the future? Doug, I'll throw it to you first. Is this, would you, does it make you want to shoot more if you have a camera that looks sort of retro? Uh, I think it's fun. I think, you know, the, it, it goes along with the idea of going out even with your DSLR and, and taking just a prime 50 with you, you know, just that sort of minimalist kind of thing, but in a obviously much smaller package. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's something that's very attractive about it. I, I gotta tell you though, the, there's an X100 story this week. I'm a little off topic, but you know, David Duchemin, who had that horrible accident in Italy yeah, and, uh, is recovering can barely walk. The guy gets on a plane and goes to China for a few weeks. And what does he take? He takes, he's, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's got an iPad and an X100. Yeah. Can you imagine David going to China with only an X100? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that says something about it. So, you know, when looking at Samsung, which is not a company that I think, oh, wow, cameras. You know, they don't, it's not, not where I first go for cameras. But um, I don't know any idea how successful they'll be with this. But I do think that there's something appealing about these retro cameras. 
I don't have the money to buy an M9, but uh, I've been very tempted to go to borrow lenses and rent an X100 because they've got them there. Yeah. yeah. Now, Jeffrey, what about you? I mean, you're when I think about you and I, I'm, I'm looking at your website, which looks great, by the way. Congratulations on the new live books look. Thanks. Um, you know, I'm looking at those photos. I'm like, okay, he, he like, <laughs> that photo took a while to set up and he used some serious gear to get that thing nailed and post-processing and all that. And then when I look at this article, I'm like, this is something that Jeffrey would never consider even looking <laughs> at. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I, I have to say actually, um, you know, one of my favorite cameras, uh, you know, just for personal work is the, is the M9, um, I got into like a, when they came out with the M8 and uh, <coughs> yeah, um, yeah, kind, of, kind of a camera junkie for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that camera is uh, is a whole lot of fun to shoot with. I was away on a couple of short trips over the summer, and it's uh, it's really a pleasure to work with. Uh, it's very small and lightweight, and all these things do apply also to the X100 and these other uh, sort of retro style cameras that are coming out. And what's interesting to me is that this sort of trend toward the mirrorless. Um, uh, concept and also which is you know, more similar to the rangefinder like the Leica is in the first place. And what that allows the, the lens designers to do is to design lenses with fewer restrictions and they typically are going to come out uh, if they're paying attention with lenses that have a lot less distortion and color fringing and all those things. It's the, it's the mirror and the, and the huge prism box in the, in the SLR cameras, whether it be medium format or large format, that ends up giving you some of these these negative effects uh, because they have to leave room in the lens design to let that mirror flop up and down. Yeah, and so um, and also like Doug was saying, working mostly with prime lenses because uh, the Leica system has uh, almost strictly prime lenses. They have one lens that's called a Tri Elmar, which um, is three focal lengths in one, but you really can't shoot in between those focal lengths. Hmm. Uh, and so that that and, and and applying that to the X100 or any of these other cameras, uh, is, I think it's going to lead to better lens design. Also, the cameras can be lighter weight. And an important thing, a lot of a lot of people like about the Leica is it's very quiet. Mm. And so yeah, you don't you don't have to yeah, it's just a, just a barely a click right whenever you take mm-hmm. a shot. Yeah, it's, it's if, and even on the M9 now you can you can take the shot and if you keep your finger on the shutter and keep it depressed, uh, the it won't even recock the shutter until you take your finger off. So you could take the picture, which is very much just a click, and then bring the camera down to your side or under your coat or something and let it recock the shutter. Uh, I think there's one other thing about these cameras that's very attractive. You know, I have, in addition to my other bodies, I have a Canon S95. And I can't use the thing. I just hate the idea of, you know, holding up something I can't look through. I've been looking through cameras for so many years. So whether it's a rangefinder or an elect- you know, an EVF, uh, that's really attractive to me. There's just that step. It's sort of what Jeffrey's saying. You know, it's the mirrorless design mm-hmm. uh, where you have some kind of a viewfinder instead of, uh, especially for me with, you know, old vision and bifocals and all that, for me to look at an LCD on the back of something to take a picture is really a pain. Yeah, and and so these retro cameras, not that they're retro, but that they're rangefinder or EVF, are really attractive. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the, the 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 question is aesthetics, right? Does does the aesthetics of the camera body matter? I mean, does does that factor into when you when you're going to you're you're going out to take pictures on a photo walk or you know say Jeffrey is just a you know it's not a professional shoot. You're not going out to take pictures of the Louvre or something. You know, right. do you, and you grab that camera? Does you know the fact that it looks like a G9 or a G10 or G11, whatever versus a Leica, does that factor in? Do, do you care what people see when they when they look at you carrying a camera around? Uh, I think I, I, I mean I definitely have, um, 
you know, would, would be one to be susceptible to aesthetics. Uh, but also I think there's one other level you can look at it. And I haven't handled the X100, but I know a lot of people like it. But like back to me, at least for the Leica, like when I pick that camera up, it's heavy. It's like a, it's like a, it's, it's you know, made out of right? brass. Yeah. The lenses are, uh, like when you think about photography before autofocus came in, uh, you know, you, your Nikon and Canon lenses were all, you know, most, mostly made out of metal and glass. And, um, so I think for, if you add that to the aesthetic, um, in terms of just the handling and the feel of the camera, I think that's very important. And, uh, and I think also what's the, what's the focus, uh, the X100, is it, um, some sort of autofocus, or is it actually manual, or is it a, a I don't know. range? I don't thing? know. I do you know Doug, how that camera focuses? Uh, I think it has both. It has, you know, even like a split prism viewfinder, even or something like that. Uh-huh. I, I better. I'm always wrong. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's autofocus. That's going to become your middle name, <laughs> Doug, think, yeah, Doug. I'm always wrong. K. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but you know what? You're talking about the idea of, you know, whether styling matters. Yeah. It must be. It must matter to me because I'm really interested in this red D3100. <laughs> Did you see that? No. Oh, Nikon apparently is coming out with a bright red body uh, D3100 or something like that. So yeah, maybe we'll talk about that next week. But it was an interesting announcement. Yeah. Well, let's see if borrow lenses get. I, I, I think it. I think it matters. I think you know what Jeffrey says. You know, there's a difference between what you buy and what you pick up pick up to go out the door once you've had the camera for a while too uh i think what's attractive about something like the x100 is that it's gotten so much buzz yeah. you know uh, you talked about nicolzi using it and and everybody you know everybody's talking about that camera uh mm-hmm. and maybe they wouldn't be talking about it if it weren't for the m9 which sort of led the way for that type of a look of in bodies i don't know yeah, yeah I, think, I think that probably had a lot to do with it. Uh, glad I know someone who, who traded his, well, traded but sold his M8 uh, in favor of the X100, just to um, get some of that money back and also to have a, and that's a, I think a 35 millimeter equivalent lens on that yeah. camera. So, so it's you know it's the M9 for the rest of us kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's great cause it's, and I, I do like the idea of the fixed focal length. I think anyone interested in photography just benefits from working with a prime lens for in terms of developing their work. Definitely. Yeah. And we, 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 that's our uh, mantra on the show, you know, mm-hmm. less, less is more, you know, I was thinking the, uh, it's, it's kind of like when, when a professional photographer who understands the complexities of light and aperture and exposure and composition and all that stuff takes one of these cameras and takes them out in the field, um, as opposed to a DSLR, which screams, I am a professional photographer who, who is invested in the, either his hobby or his craft. Therefore, I must have purchased this long, you know, 20, you know, whatever long lens and this, this high end DSLR body. And I have my, my photo vest on and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're basically projecting and transmitting that I'm a professional photographer. Then you flip that over to just walking out in your jeans and a t-shirt with one of these cameras. You still have all your superpowers, but you, no one knows it. So you're just kind of like going out as Superman with, with all of your, your cape and, you know, all this stuff on versus going out with Clark, Clark Kent, going out as Clark Kent when you're, you know, you're still Superman, you still have all those powers and you can use them whenever you want, but no one knows it, you know, which one is better, right? Hmm, I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. I went at, and I always wondered why does Superman always dress up like that? You know, why, <laughs> why not just like fly around like a normal guy and then you can blend. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things I like about these cameras too, I mean, maybe it's part of the retro aspect, things like, uh, an aperture ring, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, for anybody who 
who remembers those, and I'm sure all of us do, yeah. you know, just to be able to dial this ring and pick your aperture is a really nice feature that I, I'm still attracted to. Yeah. Yeah, I'll second that because I was, I was shooting with the Leica yesterday in New York, uh, just walking around, and I put, I using one of their fast lenses, the 51.4, and shooting in daylight, I sometimes put a, a, a two-stop neutral density filter on it so I can still shoot kind of shallow depth of field. But I can tell very quickly, just without having to look at the lens, um, just by counting the click stops, I kind of know right where, where the aperture ring is set to. Uh, and I think that's that sort of nice tangible feel in, in combination with the manual focus is a real nice, yeah. real nice combination. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Change is good. Lots of change. All right, guys, the next story is from Gizmodo. This is about crowd mug. And basically the premise is, say you want to know the look, the vibe, or the crowdedness of a particular restaurant, bar, store, or other venue before you head over. The crowd mug service lets you create an assignment of specific locations that you will then hope strangers in your area can compete at or complete by a certain time. So you say, hey, you know, um, I need pictures of the New York Public Library or whatever, and you assign a dollar amount to it, and people can go in, take pictures, and if you pick one, they get paid. Uh, now, Doug, I'm going to throw this to you first because you, on the conversation network, you say you did something very similar to this that you then shut down. Give us, give us a gist <laughs> of what you think about CrowdMug, and is it destined to go the way of, of your PodCorps.org? Yeah, I mean, PodCorp was something we did back in 2007 where we, uh, we wanted to be able to record events, audio and video, anywhere in the world. And the idea was that we would... We would have stringers sign up, say, I'm available for assignments in this city, in this country, with this level of skill and this type of gear. Uh, and, of course, it's a, uh, critical mass is the issue here, which is you've got to have enough stringers, people who are willing to do this, and you have to have enough people who want to pay for it in this case. Um, I think CrowdMug is crazy. I can't imagine if I go to a bar... Uh, and it's a great bar that I really want to, oh, maybe somebody wants to pay me to take a picture of the bar. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I think that the numbers just don't add up for me. The idea that there would be enough people, I mean, I only need one, but enough people at enough locations and enough people who want to see that location in real time to make a match seems wacko to me and then pay yeah it reminds me a little bit of that that i app remember remember color that came out a couple months ago yeah that app that then failed that was it was i think i want to say it failed um but it was trying to do something similar to this without the money basically you can go into a location it would sense where you were and show show you all the pictures that were taken in that location which raised all kinds of privacy concerns and stalking and all this other stuff i mean it's like it's sort of like foursquare with a whole extra layer of complexity yeah yeah I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about CrowdMug there, Jeffrey? Are you are you in or are you out? You're gonna you're gonna task a bunch of photographers to go do some architectural <laughs> photography in New York? Yeah. <laughs> well, it might be good for uh, for 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 scouting or for uh, hey, what's the what's the weather like on the corner of such and such? Yeah. Uh, but I, I have to agree with Doug uh, on on almost every point he made. Uh, I don't see that the that the numbers work and you know, how often are you going to be. Uh, in the restaurant when somebody actually wants to know what's going on there or wherever it is. But one one negative thing or issue I th- came up with was, you know, there might not be a lot of people wanting to know what's going on at the restaurant down the street, but what if, like, uh, U2's in town playing a huge concert and you couldn't get tickets, um, and then you're all of a sudden paying somebody to take pictures from the concert, 
and they're distributing them on the web. And, you know, most concerts don't want you to be taking mm. pictures. <laughs> so I don't know if, if that opens them up to any kind of um, any kind of legal issues in that regard. Yeah. Because they're you're paying someone to take them. And I think that's where things get gray is where you start paying for someone just to pay, post a picture up on Twitter or Facebook. I think is different. Um, but to actually say that, that someone is getting paid to shoot uh, a particular event or something like that can probably get to be a gray area. Yeah. We should get a lawyer on the show to talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Craziness. All right. Uh, another one of our sponsors um, is Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. Um, we've been talking about them on several shows, but they've got an easy-to-use UI that allows you to create and manage your your web presence, whether it be a website or a blog. It's optimized for people that are beginning on their web career or beginning their web presence and people who know what CSS is. They've got hundreds of designs to choose from. You can choose one as a starting point and then jump in and customize it to fit your needs. They've, it just goes on. The list goes on and on. I've got iPad and iPhone apps so you can update your, your site on the go. You have a problem. They've got support that, uh, that is available for 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can integrate all sorts of things in there from form builders, Flickr, Twitter, social media, Google, all that stuff. So basically, it's basically everything you need to build a really cool looking website without having to worry about FTP and all this other, all these different acronyms that, that we geeks understand. You don't have to understand that stuff. You just decide, hey, that's the look I want for my site. I want it up. Here's my domain. Boom. I want to customize it. Here are my colors. Here's my logo. Publish it in your blogging, just like that. So if you like a free trial of squarespace.com, um, Squarespace. Just head over to squarespace.com. You can sign up for a free account. You don't even need a credit card. You can just sign up, try it out, start building your website. Then if you decide that, hey, this is pretty cool. I like my website. Just use the offer code TWIP9, TWIP9, and you'll get 10% off for six months. 10% off your subscription fee for, t- for uh, six months. That's squarespace.com. Use the offer code TWIP9. All right, guys, we are now at that time on the show that we like to call Listener Q&A. This is a segment where our guests answer questions that may have come in from our audience via our newly revamped forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forums or our Facebook group, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, if you want to submit us a question on Twitter, just use the hashtag TWIP questions. That's pound TWIP questions. Um, and you can sub- submit your questions on Twitter that way. I know Doug's wondering how do you get your questions to us on Google Plus, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. We'll work we on actually that. we're on Google Plus as well, so you can search for Twip on Google Plus, and you, we'll take your questions that way too. So the first question is from Harry on the Twip forums. He wants to know more about um, on a recent Twip episode. We the the panel basically said that CDs and DVDs were out. They're no good for long time long term storage. And but he thinks there's much more probability of a failure if you're using um, like a hard disk, you know, because it's spinning media and it's always it's a mechanical device, uh, presumably. So mm-hmm. Jeffrey, uh, one throw it to you first. Are you backing up your images on optical media, or are you backing up on hard like hard drives and that sort of thing? I'm uh, 100% on 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 hard drives. Uh, I used to deliver and also store images in the early days of digital on. CDs and DVDs, but it was very, very quickly, you know, within a month or two, 
of starting that process that, that I would reach for a CD or DVD and find that it was either unreadable or had completely corrupted the images or something horrible happened. Yeah. So I, I deliver most of my images to my clients over the web. I upload them to my uh, FTP and they, and send them a link and they pull them down that way. And my, um, so my, my backup system is all uh, hard drive based. I have the, the four drives in the uh, Mac pro, which is where the, the active jobs are living at any given time. And, that daily is backed up to a um, Frederick's favorite Drobo. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, so that system. Uh, so for for the listener, uh, I have a sort of redundant backup system within the office because I, I back up from the Mac Pro to the to the to the now Drobo S, the five bay Drobo uh, once a day, and then once a week the Drobo S backs up to the eight bay Drobo Pro, and once a quarter I swap the drives out of the Drobo Pro. And um, go and get a whole other volume of drives out of my storage unit and bring those back to the to the office. Good. And so um, I do have um, sort of not only redundant but also offsite backup, but it's all hard drive based. Nice. I think um, some of these cloud services are nice, um, but if I were to up- upload my whole catalog right now, it would need uh, about 16 terabytes. So. Yeah, that, I don't that, know that, would, that would take that you would about cost. 16 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that would even cost, like on a monthly basis, yeah. to maintain that. So, and that's just growing, you know, every day. So, um, I think yes, the yeah, hard drives will fail. But what's nice about the Drobo system is that uh, you can set it up. Most of the, of the devices you can set up to protect against at least one hard drive failure, and so you can also set them up to protect against two simultaneous hard drive failures. Although you limit your storage capacity, but. Uh, so far, so good on all fronts in that regard. So good, um, good. Yeah, Doug K. What about you? Are you uh, you backing up all your your precious photos to optical media? Uh, well, my experiences are almost exactly the same as Jeffrey's, which means that he's probably wrong too. Uh oh, you're in trouble, Jeffrey. <laughs> to answer the question that, that Jeffrey didn't have the answer to, because we work with this a lot at Conversations Network, uh, a terabyte. A quality terabyte online storage goes for about $100 or a little more per month. Amazon S3, uh, you know, was about $140 a month for a terabyte. So it's not cheap. Um, but what I do for my personal stuff is very similar. I have a Drobo uh, as my in-house backup. I back up to magnetic media and, uh, you know, terabyte drives. And those terabyte drives go out of the house to, you know, a safe deposit box uh, every month, actually. Uh, I've had the same problems with optical media. I think the, the important thing for Harry and his question is that neither optical media nor magnetic media are permanent storage. Right. They're that's all, the takeaway. That's the that's key the takeaway. Thing. Yes. They're going to they're going to fail, and so you need you know you need to have multiple copies, and you need to have a system where that's actually being refreshed. You know where you're rewriting your data to a new drive every few years. Because if you count on the optical media or the magnetic drives, they're going to die sitting somewhere for a couple of years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Where's the stuff going? What's, what's next? So we went, from, we went from magnetic media, you know, we went from tape, right? So we were presumably on tape first. Then we went to, hey, look at these floppies, these gigantic floppies that are awesome. And then they shrunk those down to three and a half, and they're like, wow, these are great. Then they got bigger. French fries. Yeah. Well, then we went to to SciQuest and Bernoulli's and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, right? And then the DVDs and CDs came around, and and now those are no good. And now we're saying that hard drives are the way to go. 
what's after that? You know, SSD. because when you say the cloud, that's just more hard drives. So what's, what's yeah, exactly? Yeah, when you back up to anybody uh, in the cloud, it's all hard drive. Yeah, I, know, yeah. They, it, SS, I just put an SSD in my um, in my MacBook Pro, and um, that's that's you know nice and quick, and I I feel a little more comfortable having that solid state drive in there because that that's the machine that takes the most physical abuse. Yeah, no moving parts, right? Right. Yeah. So SSD is the next is the next big thing. Well, we don't really have enough experience in how reliable they are, though. Yeah, well, it's, it's really reliable in my little MacBook Air, I'll tell you that. Right, I but love what it. about, we don't know the long-term reliability. Right, yeah. We don't know if it's, and it's also very expensive for mm-hmm. archival storage. I mean, it's about the most expensive thing you can do. But, you know, some people are taking their drives, their terabyte drives, and shipping them to a cloud service and say, here's the drive transferred to the cloud because it's cheaper or easier than to upload it. It's also a difference between whether you're, you know whether Jeffrey's taking his all of his final customer customer images and the the pre-production parts of those versus all of his outtakes. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, b- being a you know a a semi-pro high-end amateur, I'm still only shooting enough stuff that I can store everything I've ever shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in 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 less than a terabyte, I've got all of my images, all the crap. And uh, that's going to come to an end fairly soon. But you know what scares me, guys? I mean, it's like we, we talk about this stuff when you know we're getting, we're shooting these m- amazingly high resolution and beautiful images and raw, and we're storing them, and you know Jeffrey swapping out drives out of his, out of his Drobo, and you know all this cool stuff. But what about video? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, what about video and audio? You know, we, we were talking about Final Cut Pro 10 or Final Cut Pro X, whatever you want to call it, before. That's a whole new dimension in storage, you know, in storage needs and capacity and redundancy and backup and all that. When photographers start wading deeper into the waters of video, what's going to happen to storage? I mean, is, are we? It feels like we're just at the level right now where we we're kind of getting it. Like Jeffrey, your your mo there is like mm-hmm. okay, you got it dialed in. You know, you 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 swap your drives out from your storage unit. You're you know everything's happy. But when you start, say your clients, you know this probably won't happen to you. But say your client said, okay, we need we need a video spot shot of every of every uh, building that you capture. You know, right. instead of just instead of just delivering us a finished produced photo or set of photos, we also need a little thirty second spot. Now you're shooting video as well. How do you manage that storage? I guess that's when I would get the twelve day Drobo. And then the eighteen, right? <laughs> yeah, I think they'll just keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, well, it's something I worry about because I even just recently um, changed uh, from the, the the second generation four bay Drobo to the Drobo S. Because um, there's a little bit of lag on Drobo's part in supporting three terabyte drives and higher, yeah. So um, they gave me a little bit of a discount on buying an S uh, because they hadn't figured that out yet. Um, so, I mean, the, the storage is it's always on my mind. It's always something that that you know, you, you know I think about the next step. What what's what's going to happen after this system is maxed out? Because it will eventually. And um, yeah, and video is just uh, that's that just seems endless. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> well, you can always just start deleting stuff, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> Tight, a tighter edit, I guess, is what exactly. What, 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 about you, what about you, Doug? What, what's your plans? Are you, if you start adding video to your mix, are you gonna are you gonna capture and, and, and make sure all that stuff is safe? I I've actually just said no to video. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I just you know that's part of the problem is is just dealing with large files. Uh, I may be suckered back into it, but I've done video in the past, and part of my 
part of what I'm enjoying about digital photography is not doing video. I'm I'm probably the unusual person, yeah. but the fact is, that video is is the leading edge of the problem. And so, those of us who only do still work, even people who do very large images like Jeffrey, we're actually the beneficiaries of the needs for video that are driving all the technologies and the solutions to this. Yeah. Um, so I have, you know, I have a phrase that I, that I like to append to video as it as it applies to you know photographers that are accustomed to shooting still photography um i call it motion sickness (laughs) (laughs) and i define that as the 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 need not necessarily the desire but the need to uh to get up to speed on shooting video with your dslr not necessarily because you want to but because you feel like you have to You know, I was in, you may remember the story, Frederick, but I was in Egypt when the revolution started at the end of January, and I had a brand new D7000 with me, and I had never used the video, and I didn't know how, but here I am on the balcony of the hotel, right above Tahrir Square, and I realized, I better figure out how to take video with this thing. (laughs) Yeah, you pushed the button. (laughs) And that was was my introduction, you know, and uh, pretty impressed, but that's so far the only video I've ever shot on that camera. Yeah. All right, let's move on to question number two. This is from Hope Ventisky. Ventisky? I think I got Venitsky. Did I get that right? Um, Hope wants to know the best way of marketing slash promoting her self-published book on Amazon or elsewhere. And, Doug, you've done both of these, right? Uh, I have. I have. Uh, you know, Hope didn't mention whether her book was a photography book or not. Uh, but actually, it probably doesn't matter. I think the the key is that it's just like marketing anything else. You have to do a lot of lay work. Um, I found on the one that I published myself that, uh, you know, I had to send out about 100 copies to really well-placed people, uh, people who were influencers, influencers, people who would tell others, and that's what it's all about. It's all about the social networking of your book. The word of mouth. Yeah. The word of mouth. Nothing, nothing else is going to drive this, you know, very few people have the ability to get their books reviewed by Publishers Weekly and things like that. You have to really do just the groundwork and send out a lot of free copies to people who will make a difference. Yeah. All right. What about you, Jeffrey, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I think uh, Doug certainly has a lot more experience than I do in that regard. But I was going to say you know, things like like Twitter, um, you know, if you can if you can get get some um, Twitter posts mentioned on somebody else's site or something that 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 can help um, help anything. Um, yeah. Definitely. Cool. All right. And then the last question here is a listener wants help in picking a photo editing program to get, quote, better than average uh, images that really pop. Uh, this is, well, let me see if I read this right. Another listener wants, to help, wants help picking a photo editing enhancement program for a better than average shooter who wants their images to really pop. Okay. So mm-hmm. the, the shooter is better than average. So um, I guess the, the crux of it is, is what are you using? Doug, what are you using as your post-processing, and what do you recommend? Uh, I'm a Lightroom, Photoshop, uh, Photomatix Pro for HDR, and I've just started getting into the on-one suite, hmm. uh, which, you know, I've been using Nick's stuff for a while. I, I play with all of them, but I'm pretty impressed with the new stuff from, um, or what I think is coming out from on-one. They've got a new suite coming out at the end of next month, yeah. uh, and I've, I've played with the, the current version. I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. I'm a big fan of On One's uh, Focal Point plugin for Photoshop for controlling yeah. depth yeah, that, of field. That is really cool. Yeah, that I'm, is really cool. And I'm I've in love been, with it. Recently, I've just been using the current version of Photo Tools uh, 
as a way to apply, you know, presets, filters, effects, and it's pretty nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeffrey, what about you? What do you, what do you recommend as a post-processing app? Well, I use um, uh, pretty much all my photos, professional and personal, flow through Capture One, mm-hmm. uh, Phase One's um, raw processing software, which is re- really nice. And they keep making it better and better with every every release. Uh, you can do a lot of things, a lot of things with it, and you can do more and more. They seem to be coming up with more features that allow you to do more within the app. Uh, they've even added uh, like a, a somewhat of a layering feature where you can selectively choose areas and and add. Um, effects to them. Uh, but after that, everything goes into Photoshop. Uh, I don't use Lightroom all that often, just didn't have much of a use for it, mostly because the camera system I shoot with has to run through Capture One. Right. Um, and, but yeah, I was also going to... The images on your sh- your site are amazing. So oh, and all those were post-processed in, in uh, Capture One? Yeah, Capture One, and then, um, then they're fine-tuned in, in Photoshop for any compositing or any other you should um, do a video tutorial walkthrough on how you do that that would be great I would love yeah to see i think that. it's <laughs> well yeah chris and i were thinking of doing something together in that regard yeah so we're gonna do something like that all right well let um, us know when it's up we'll tell the world <laughs> yeah and also i wanted to mention to the uh to the listener um doug also mentioned but um a lot of the nick plugins or, or a lot of the the nick things um their products are even standalone and i know like um the viveza uh, they have a second version of that software out which is nice for because uh, he said he wants things to really pop, and yep. they do. Um, and their new uh, Color Effects Pro Four is out, which I, I haven't used, but uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of people like. So, if the listener is looking for something other than Photoshop or feels intimidated by Photoshop, perhaps there's something that some of these um, standalone products from from Nick are certainly worth looking at. Very cool. All right, guys, we're at that magical time on the show when each guest gives their pick of the week. And this pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever you want, as long as it's related to photography. Jeffrey, I'm going to throw it to you. What is your pick of the week? All right. Well, um, you already mentioned it, Fred, but uh, just last week I launched a, a revised version of my website, which is um, uh, was previously and is still with Livebooks. And I, I really like um, the product that they offer. It's uh, For anyone not familiar, it's basically a template kind of a, a website, but you can customize the front end. I had um, hired a graphic designer to redo my identity uh, along with this, so the, that that looks different as well. And it's easy to work with the Livebooks um, uh, staff to uh, incorporate your design. Uh, and what's nice about it is you can, uh, once the site is in place, it's very easy to edit and change the images. Uh, so you're not having to, like if you had a custom, um, a custom design site, uh, that somebody did for you, you'd probably have to pay them to change the images out, uh, or, you know, just even, even to update it or, or anything like that. And Livebooks also has tons of integration. Uh, they offer a, a blog segment. They, uh, can incorporate, uh, motion as well. Mm-hmm. And the new sites the reason I changed, uh, the site in the first place is they have this new product called scaler. Uh, their sites used to be just uh, a static image size, which was somewhat small, especially when you're looking at some of these larger displays that people are working with. And so the the new site allows you to just drag your browser window as big as your screen, and the images will scale up right with that. And so it's um, it, it's going to load a little bit slower because the image files have to be so much bigger. But the impact is great. You know, looking at it on the twenty seven inch iMac, for instance, it's like it's just really fun to see your images that big. You know, they're bigger than what you know prints would be that you would show to somebody in a portfolio. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're really um, the staff there have always had uh, very good experience. They're very responsive and and get things done and keep you updated on what's happening. And the, the cost is uh, pretty reasonable, too. That so, was going to be my question. What, yeah. What, I forget what they run. I interviewed the, the, the CMO, I believe it was, um, on the show a while back, and I forget what the pricing was. What is it? 
Well, um, I started back in 2008, and I don't remember exactly, but it was like I want to say 2,500 or 3,000 bucks or something to get the site designed and up, and then it was 90 dollars a year to host it after that. Wow. Um, and I think I'm I'm pretty much still in that model, and I like I paid um, some sort of like an upgrade fee for them to change over to the scaler product and but now i think they're i think they've changed their business model i'm kind of grandfathered into that situation but i think their business model now is mostly um little or little or no upfront cost if you choose one of their basic templates uh that and you don't necessarily want to customize it uh and then it's some fee per, i want to say like 35 dollars a month or something um and i think that you can you can add add features to that yeah. And this is clearly for professional photographers, right? So if you're just a hobbyist and you're not generating any income with your photography to, to offset that subscription fee, then you should probably look at something else, right? So Yeah, you probably don't want to be paying a monthly fee. Right. If you're not Yeah, exactly. Just like you said. But yeah. uh it's it's very popular among wedding photographers. Uh mm-hmm. and um there are definitely you know, plenty of architectural photographers that use it. And so some people say it's like, well, they're all kind of similar looking. You can tell when you're on a live book site. But what I like about that is that anyone who's sort of shopping for a photographer, if they come across three or four live book sites, um, they're going to know how to navigate them very quickly and intuitively. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I think that's, that's nice too, versus going to some super custom site where you're like, well, wait a minute, how do I change the picture? And why does this window keep popping up? And, and, you know, so I think, I think there's less chance of somebody getting frustrated with your site and, and, you know, moving on to the next guy. Yeah. And if I could throw in one, one other quick, um, pick Frederick, um, yeah, go for coming it. up in, in October in New York city is the photo plus expo. And, um, this is great fun for anyone interested in photography. It runs the 27th, 28th and 29th. Uh, at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City. And um, I guess they'll hopefully put the link in the show notes, but it's uh, photoplusexpo.com. And um, there are plenty of seminars you can take on everything from Photoshop to video to marketing to social media. Um, there's a, a charge for each of those, but um, but you can also just get into the exhibit hall and just get your hands on all kinds of fun fun photo equipment and see what see what's coming out. Bring, and, your, uh, bring your credit card, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I've been going every year for I don't know the last I don't know fifteen or eighteen years, and it's it's a lot of fun. I always look forward to it. Yeah. All right, Doug. What is your pick of the week? Well, you may not think it's very innovative, but I want everyone to go check out Google Plus. Uh, as I said, how did earlier, I know you were going to say that? Yeah, really. How did you know? <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the notes. That's how I do. Psychic, right? Yes. Uh, it's, it is, it, you need to invest some time. You need to learn how to work it. I'm not going to explain it to you now, but you need to get in there, figure it out, find some great photographers, start following them and start contributing. And I think any photographer at any skill level, pro or amateur, is going to get a tremendous amount out of it. Uh, you can look for me there. I'm Doug Kay. You can look for Frederick there. Eventually, you'll find Jeffrey there, I know. Yes. Right? Um, but it is uh, it has become something really uh, a great place to hang out and work with other photographers. Perfect. Doug, I want to ask you, how do you, how do you manage all your social media presences? Because you're, I mean, you're presumably on Facebook, you're on Twitter, now Google+. And whatever else, you know, how do you how do you manage all these? Are you just constantly on round robin updating these, or what are you doing? You know, I have really let everything else fall by the wayside. I'm really bad about Twitter, really bad about Facebook. I post there occasionally, but um, Google Plus has really taken over my attention. But you know, I've I've invested a lot of time into it, and I've gotten a lot out of it. Very cool. All right. 
All right. And um, what is my pick of the week? My pick of the week is ModelMayhem.com. We talked about this a little bit on the show, but I wanted to rehash it and reemphasize what a great resource it is for photographers, especially even, you know, even amateur photographers that are interested in shooting people, portraits, models, that sort of thing, and wondering how do I branch out to shooting other people other than my 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 family members, significant other, etc., to make a more interesting portfolio. Well, you can head over to modelmayhem.com, set up an account, and you can put out a casting call and uh, say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be in, say, I'm going to be in New York City, October 28th, 27th, 28th, 29th for Photo Plus, and I got some free time on the 28th, and I want to shoot a model. Um, I can pay this much." Let me know who's interested, and you'll get a bunch of responses from models. You can check them out and see what their what their portfolios look like and see if they're a match for you. You can schedule them and then go out and have a nice New York photo shoot you know, with them. Um, it's really easy. I, mean, I think it, uh, it takes away that pain of, you know, I really would do that, but I don't want to ask these strangers to do it. And, you know, you just get in there, you pay a little money. And some of you even do it for free. You know, you do like, okay, I'll shoot you and I'll give you images for your portfolio for the just for you letting me shoot you but i would recommend i know Derek's story is in this uh this camp as well just pay people you know just make sure you pay them and you know you get what you pay for basically so definitely check them out modelmayhem.com on my i'm on model mayhem as well i have a little a little account set up you can check me out at frederick van so it's just modelmayhem.com slash frederick van and you can say hi to me there all right guys we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Jeffrey, where are you at, or where would you like people to go to find out more about you and the stuff that you're involved in? Sure, they can visit um, my website, which is jeffreytotaro.com, uh, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-T-O-T-A-R-O.com, and also uh, same at Twitter, uh, at Jeffrey Totaro. Perfect. And Doug K., where are you at? Well, there's DougK.com, there's Doug K. on Twitter, but of course, go to Google Plus and look for Doug K. That's the best. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, definitely going to do that. All right. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Google Plus profile, our Facebook fan page, our Twitter profile, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com, my Google Plus page, and I made a short URL for it, fvj.me slash plus, and that'll redirect you to my little profile over there. Or you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.